Welcome to Blue Sky Banter, a conversation with legal luminaries about corporate governance, M&A, securities regulation, and kindred topics. I'm John Metaxas, and today we're pleased to be speaking with John Coffey, the Adolph A. Burley Professor of Law at Columbia Law School, where he also serves as director of the Center on Corporate Governance and is also on the editorial board of its Blue Sky blog on corporations and the capital markets. Always great to be with you, Professor. It's my pleasure. Well, uh, the topic today is a new task force that you have been asked uh, to serve on, tasked with developing proposals to update insider trading laws. Uh, this will be chaired by Preet Bharara, the former U.S. attorney in the Southern District, who proposed it in an op-ed that he co-wrote with SEC Commissioner Robert Jackson. We would love to learn uh, more about your involvement in this. Uh, you are on the task force. But if I may just begin with a substantive question, Professor, why do uh, insider trading laws need updating? Well, first of all, there aren't really any insider trading laws. It's all a judicially created body of law. Congress has never sought to define insider trading or specify what the requirements are. Uh, that's a problem because when it's judicially made, different circuits can disagree, and the Supreme Court takes a case on this topic about once every 20 years. Uh, right now, there have been some new decisions in the Second Circuit, which we do not know whether other circuits will follow them. And thus, it sounds like an appropriate time to get a task force together to come up with some model standards. These model standards could be used to inform either draft legislation, and this body could prepare a draft statute, or possibly only draft SEC rules, which the Commission may or may not look at, but there are possibilities of going in both those directions, SEC rules and uh, uh, a statute that Congress could look at. Now, I have to add, I'm not speaking for the task force. We haven't even met yet, uh, so all I can say is I think this was the, the background that, that led uh, Commissioner Jackson and Preet Bharara to decide it was time to get together and see if we could come up with a, a blue ribbon group that will come up with model standards. All right. So how, how did you get involved, and, and what do you anticipate you yourself will be doing here? Well, I've been involved in teaching this and working with it. Indeed, I've written editorials in the New York Times on this topic within the last two years. Uh, I think that this is an appropriate moment, and I think the people who chose the members of the task force looked at people who had either deep prosecutorial experience or who were professors or had run government agencies so that everyone has a, a realistic sense of what are the cases that are coming up and what are the issues that recur over and over. So let's start with that. What, in your view, are the, the main issues you'll be dealing with? And what has changed about insider trading uh, law as, uh, as technology has progressed? Well, that's, those are two questions. And let me take the second one first. The new dimension in insider trading law is cybersecurity. We're used to the old world where the insider tips a friend who tips a second friend and they trade and it's up to the government to prove that there was this tip, which can be difficult. That's the old world. That still continues and still very problematic. But cybersecurity, people can hack into the websites of either the company or uh, some other service that works with them and get days before the information is released to the public the estimated quarterly earnings or annual, annual earnings of that company. If you know that information days before it's released, you can trade ahead of that and make a guaranteed profit. 
so cybersecurity is a new world. It's not tipping. It is more breaking and entering in a kind of theft of the information fashion. And yet the state of the law is such that it's not always clear when you've run afoul of, of insider trading. Well, the cases that have dealt with this have drawn some rather uh, narrow distinctions between deceiving to get entry and just getting entry because there wasn't a barrier big enough to stop you. It's like opening the screen door to enter the house. Uh, that may be an invasion of privacy, but it's not necessarily uh, a theft uh, or a breaking and entering burglary. Uh, those are the kind of distinctions that we like to clarify. Um, I can give you all kinds of examples. We might say that hacking into the company's computers, that's clearly a violation. That's clearly a, a breaking, entering in a burglary. But what happens if I just open someone else's briefcase while he's off in the men's room on an international airplane and pull out his papers and see that uh, the guy sitting next to me is an investment banker working on a very lucrative tender offer that will be announced next week? Well, I have invaded his privacy, but I haven't necessarily physically stole anything from him. Should that be within the range of insider trading? If you say, I'm really stealing the information from this guy without authority, you could answer yes. If you say, well, it's really got to be a classic kind of crime where you break and enter, maybe that's not such a, a serious offense. This is the area where it's better to have clear standards so we know what the law is. And there's a further issue of... Uh what benefit you may obtain, obtain by hacking into or obtaining that information and then passing it on. Now, you've used a key term. Let me just make it clear what we're talking about here. Under the Supreme Court's definition of insider trading, there has to be a personal benefit that the tippee pays to the tipper. The Supreme Court was trying to protect securities analysts and others who may hear information from insiders in the course of their interviews. Now, they didn't want those people to face a criminal sanction. But when you say that there has to be a personal benefit paid by the uh, tippee to the tipper, you make it very hard for prosecutors to prove cases because sometimes the information is passed in the expectation that there will be a reciprocal favor returned. In other words, you can view Wall Street uh, as something of a favor bank. I pay in favors, and I get back favors, and I can make deposits, and I can make withdrawals. That, however, doesn't satisfy the test that the Supreme Court has, has specified. And I think if you think about drafting a statute, you may want to have a different line and not depend upon this personal benefit standard, but instead try to figure out whether this is a case where there was no justification or whether this was a case where that securities analyst was doing his job by asking questions and happened to learn more than should have been told to him. And on this issue of uh, understanding whether a benefit uh, is being conferred, uh, uh, it's my understanding that different judges can interpret this very differently. Well, different judges in different circuits can. Uh, remember, there is law in some circuits that is quite clear. Law on other circuits has never been made, and we don't know which way they would go. So I do think there's a prospect of inter-circuit disparity. And I should also add that the Second Circuit has had some very important recent decisions that seem effectively to eliminate the personal benefit standard, but we don't know whether or not other circuits will agree with them. There's this very important recent case called Martoma II, in which the Second Circuit decided you don't have to show a personal benefit if you instead show that there was a gift being made with an intent to benefit the tippee. Uh, that's a different standard, and they were able to find that deep in the uh, 
the bowels of the Supreme Court decision in Dirks, uh, and they have now come up with a different standard. That means that we don't know whether all circuits will use the same standard or whether they'll continue to insist on a personal benefit. It's against that backdrop where we have inter-circuit disparity that I think such a commission or such a task force is especially appropriate. We don't want different standards applying in different circuits. Do you think the uh, issues we have uh, currently with insider trading law are enough that uh, the public investor's confidence in the markets is compromised by this? Well, I think there have been events that have, um, it's only about 10 years ago now that we had Raja, Raja Ratnam, who was a hedge fund trader who was bribing people in $100,000 amounts to get information, even from the director, a director of Goldman Sachs. Now, if you can bribe people who are on the board of a company to give you information, that's an especially egregious case that I think does suggest that the law was being obeyed only, in, only formally and not in reality. So let's talk a little bit about the task force. Uh, I understand your uh, colleague, uh, Jed Rakoff, a uh, United States District Judge from the Southern District, who also teaches here with you at Columbia. And uh, I understand he also uh, teaches a uh, course with you uh, on uh, black letter law and white collar crime, which could be its own podcast perhaps <laughs> one day. A lot of other uh, very uh, distinguished people. What do you think you all of you can bring to this process? Well, certainly we will bring different perspectives. When we have a first meeting, we'll find out what those perspectives are. I can't tell you what will be the consensus, but we all have uniquely informed people with different perspectives. Uh, there's one other professor, Professor Grunfis at Stanford. There are several alumni of the SEC and several former U.S. attorneys who have had uh, lots of experience prosecuting criminal cases. Uh, and once we all get together, uh, we'll find out what the range of opinions are. I think everyone tends to believe that it's time to define insider trading nationally in a consistent fashion and then ask that that definition be picked up either by Congress or by the SEC because case-by-case case evolution by district courts, that's not how the criminal law is supposed to work. We have a tradition against courts creating criminal law. We expect that's the role of the legislature, and the legislature has never acted, and it's getting more and more obvious that uh, there is a need for some legislative definition of insider trading. We've been speaking with Professor John Coffey of Columbia Law School on the uh, new task force on insider trading uh, that has been set up, of which uh, he is a member. It is being chaired by a former U.S. Uh, attorney for the Southern District, Preet Bharara, and uh, was uh, proposed uh, by uh, Barrara and the SEC Commissioner Robert Jackson. Re regarding uh, these issues, do you think they're fixable? I think almost everything is fixable when there are intelligent people working towards a common goal. Uh, will it result in a better uh, statute? I think we can definitely come up with a draft that would be an improvement. Whether Congress will be in a mood to adopt it, who can predict? Congress has recently been fairly paralyzed, sometimes a little dysfunctional, but legislation often takes several years. It would be good to start with an input, uh, something drafted by a, a blue ribbon committee that's thought through the issues and see if that starting point can convince Congress to look at this again. I admit there is a grave risk here that once something gets to Congress, a lot of special interests and a lot of lobbies will all 
demand a special safe harbor for their industry or for their particular uh, group of clients. And that's what can happen. It can become a Christmas tree on which every interest group puts its little silver ball to protect it. That's why the SEC in the past has generally been reluctant to talk about legislative reform, but I think we're reaching the point where if we don't have a legislative act, we're going to have tremendous disparity among the courts. And beyond uh, the special interest, do you, do you see the uh, danger of uh, political polarization in any way on this issue? Well, something tells me we already have political polarization, and I think there is some hope that both sides, conservatives and liberals, think that insider trading is evil, wrong, and is unjustifiable, and both sides would be better served by clearer standards so that both prosecutors and defense counsel can be more certain as to what the law is. And you've already postulated in, in forming this task force that one of the proposals would be directed towards the SEC itself and towards their rulemaking. Can this be handled on that level if, if it can't be gotten through Congress? That's a very difficult question to answer, both because the SEC can't override the Supreme Court. Uh, and the SEC is getting less deference from the Supreme Court than it got in the past. There was a standard called set forth something called the Chevron case that said that the courts would defer to the agency that's responsible for a particular body of law and give them great deference. The current Supreme Court is moving away from that standard, and I have to say that that makes it less and less likely that they will automatically accept rules adopted by the SEC. Uh, let's get into the uh, weeds, if we could. How do you see this working out in terms of actually debating and coming up with the proposals? How long do you think it will take you? And when do you think you might have uh, a report? Well, I think it's premature for me to try to answer that because I'm only one member of a eight, nine-member body, which hasn't even met yet. And the range of topics that we could deal with are not just defining insider trading. There are issues like the sentences for insider trading. There are issues about whether or not investors should have a private cause of action that is more effective so that we get private enforcement of insider trading. There are issues about what law governs. We generally have to have a breach of duty as a precondition for insider trading. But is that a breach under state law or under federal law? Those are the kind of issues that I think a, a, an expert body will necessarily have to address. But they're all pretty technical, I can see. Well, let's uh, try to wrap this up. And if you have any final thoughts, I, I would love to get them. But perhaps we can conclude by um, just your telling me how much you think this is needed and, and how do you feel about being part of this enterprise? Well, first of all, this is what law professors like to do. From my standpoint, this is like a busman's holiday. I think it's going to be great fun. I expect that there will be some controversy and some disagreement. But if everybody approaches it with trying to find common ground, I think there's a chance we could get some success. Congress has tried legislation, and it hasn't gotten very far. I've worked on one statute that uh, Congressman Hines over in Greenwich drafted two years ago. And while he got a lot of support, there wasn't enough momentum. I think if you take important names like Preet Bahara or Commissioner Jackson, judges like Judge Rakoff, uh, I think that adds enough prestige that maybe this kind of product that we produce will get a little bit more attention. Again, that's a hope and that's a guess, but there's no certainty. Well, let's hope that's so. Uh, Professor John Coffey of uh, Columbia Law School, thank you, as always, for speaking with us. It's, it's really been a pleasure. No, thank you.